Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Are you sick and tired of professional development that isn't relevant to you in the field as being a school-based SLP or an SLP that works with school-aged children? I hear you. I've been there too. I've sat through countless amounts of professional development where I walked away saying, that was great if I worked with one student or that would be great if X, Y, and Z. And that is why I created the Speech Retreat Conference. And I'm so excited to let you know that tickets are on sale now for our July 17th Speech Retreat. You don't want to miss this amazing professional development that has provided practical and relevant information for school-based SLPs for the last couple of years. Join the thousands of other SLPs tuning in each time we provide sessions that are hand-selected based on your preferences and your requests. We're going to be talking all about literacy-based for older students, life skills for high school kids, working with the special ed team, pushing in, IEPs and goal writing, and so much more. So get excited and head on over to speechretreat.com to grab your ticket today. You don't want to miss out because we are already giving away tons of prizes in our exclusive Facebook group. So don't wait, join, sign up right away so you can join that Facebook group and join in on the fun and celebrate being an awesome SLP that you are and get ready to learn so much information on July 17th. Can't tune in live? Make sure you sign up ahead of time so you get access to all of the recordings. You can only get access to it if you sign up beforehand. So make sure you head to speechretreat.com to grab your ticket today. Now on to today's episode. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I'm the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, 
This podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I am so excited to have our guest here today, Cindy Bassard, the listening SLP who's all about literacy and hearing loss, and I'm so excited to have her here to talk all about all that goodness. So, Cindy, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Hallie. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So tell everyone who's listening who you are, your SLP journey, and how you became to become the listening SLP. Yeah, so I uh, work in outpatient pediatrics, and I primarily work with children who are deaf and hard of hearing and also with literacy. How I became an SLP is kind of interesting. So my background is in public health. That's what I got my undergrad degree in because where I went to school didn't have a comedy program. We just had one class. So I took that class after working at a literacy center and I fell in love with the field and all the options that it could kind of provide for like me as a professional. So then I ended up getting into literacy more from the research aspect because there was a professor looking for students to volunteer. And so I agreed to do that. And the rest is kind of history. I've been here ever since. And what made you fall in love with working with the deaf and hard of hearing population? Yeah, so it's interesting how I got like exposed to that because it really started off like through literacy. So that professor was looking for people to work on her research studies, but she actually investigates like looking at spoken language and literacy outcomes for children who are deaf and hard of hearing that use spoken language as their modality. And that to me was super cool because it's a little bit more like medical based. And I originally wanted to be a pharmacist, but it also combined my love of like language and literacy. Oh, wow. Awesome. What was the research that professor was doing? So it's looking at, she has a huge project right now going on, a big RO1, so that's really exciting for her. But it's looking at early language and literacy outcomes for children who use spoken language as their modality. So she has several different things that are coming out of the project. It's called Ella Study. So if you're interested in learning more, ellastudy.org has a lot more information out there. And Dr. Crystal Werfel and Emily Lund are the primary investigators. So their work is fabulous. I love Love working with both those ladies. That's awesome. So what would you say would be the one challenging aspect when it comes to working with on literacy with the deaf and hard of hearing population? So I think for both of these populations, sometimes the family aspect can be difficult, right? Because with literacy, there's a lot of misconceptions and misinformation about what dyslexia is. And so it's having to explain like dyslexia is not an intellectual disability. We can teach children to read. I understand your child struggled, but like if you follow my methodology from based on science that's out there, like it's going to, we're going to see end light at the end of the tunnel and progress can be made. So, you know, and when kids have struggled with reading, and this is even coming from personal experience, my brother's dyslexic and did not find out he was dyslexic until the sixth grade. So, you know, as a family, a lot of these kids, like it's hurtful for the parents, you know, because they're seeing their child struggle, but you're also dealing with some really frustrated kids who like for a long time have really struggled and we're asking them to do the hardest thing for them, right? So lots of emotions sometimes that we have to work through that you wouldn't necessarily 
think that you'd have to working with literacy. And then I think it's the same thing with working with the deaf and hard of hearing population. Most children who are born deaf are born to hearing parents. And so for most parents, this is not even on their radar. This of all the possibilities of things that could like potentially happen when they have a baby, like that wasn't one. And so, you know, being there for the families, being the support, walking through like all the options that are available as far as communication, but really also helping parents to understand that your child can still live a beautiful and fulfilling life. Things might be a little bit different. The path to like how we acquire language might take a little bit more intensity than your other children or other children that you know, but that's okay. And that's why you're working with a professional to kind of help you along that journey. What would you say is your biggest challenge when it comes to literacy with the hard of hearing population, other than the families? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good question. I think it is like having to individualize it so much, especially because when you like have that hearing component plus literacy, sometimes I'm like, okay, well, is it that you don't understand the letter sound association or is it that you're not detecting it and picking it up? So being able to kind of tease apart those two things, sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, let's think a little bit more about this. But it's, I mean, I think it's fun. Once you kind of get past the elementary things, I think incorporating like the comprehension, the reading comprehension and building upon that is really, really cool. Sometimes it can be a little bit challenging, but probably one of my favorite things to see kind of unfold for these kids. I know in the schools, often the hearing impaired students work with like a hearing itinerant teacher. What would you say would be, how would you differentiate those two roles? Like what is our realm and what would be the hearing people's realm? Yeah. So a lot of teachers of the deaf, like they're itinerant, like you said. So they travel school to school and work with kids across different grade levels where we are, what's really cool about them is like, they're kind of like audiologists and speech pathologists, but like combined. (laughs) So they tend to know a little bit more about the equipment sometimes than most SLPs do. We really stick with like the language aspect of things or literacy aspects of things, whereas they tend to look at things um, more from the academic side of like the brain and working with that and but also kind of helping troubleshoot with equipment knowing how to manage equipment facilitating like that there's a sound and good listening environment within classrooms and other areas that the kids are in. I also find that since they are hired by the districts and working typically one-to-one with the students they have more flexibility of time to go into the classrooms and kind of consult with the teachers about good listening environments and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I think that that's kind of the nice part about being in the schools is that you do have like the SLP who's going to work with the kids, but they're also getting that itinerant teacher of the deaf too. So they're getting like really good services, both kinds of overlapping in their role. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to someone who's feeling frustrated and feeling like I'm not sure I'm making a difference with my students in in terms of their literacy or just language in general? Uh, I think that that's always a challenge like any SLP can feel at times. And one of my like old coworkers who I will appreciate this advice and it has stuck with me. She was like, when you feel as though you're not making a difference and things are hard, she said, take a step back 
and focus on building the relationship. She was like, if you can take that step back and you focus on building that relationship, focus on like getting back to ground zero. What is our point? What is our purpose? Where like meeting the child where they're at in that moment kind of re- does a reset and resets your brain too about like, what do I need to focus on? Where do I need to go? That's the one thing that I have found to be like really the most helpful when I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure what is going on. It really is a lot of, most of the job is mindset and keeping like your head on straight. (laughs) What would you say is your favorite? I'm all about strategies, teaching things differently than they've already been exposed to. So what would you say is your favorite strategy for working with this population? Yeah. So my favorite strategies tend to be, so working with the deaf and hard of hearing population, a lot of it's based off of the early intervention parent coaching model. So I really like the modeling what I'm doing, but then putting it on families. And I like to use a lot of daily routines. And I've kind of developed loving that more over the past year, especially being like in COVID, you know, SLPs, we love our worksheets and we like our cute activities, but the reality is like, is a family going to carry this over? The probability is no. You know, parents are busy, especially during the pandemic. We saw the stress levels of parents and caregivers go way up. That if we can help them make the most of these moments that they have, because they're already having to do the work, like they're appreciative because it's like, okay, I don't feel like I'm having to do extra work. But then also like they're still accomplishing so much in a functional mindset. So I like that for that population. And then for literacy, I used to work at a company that focused on like visualizing and verbalizing was like their, one of their programs. And so I love using that type of executive functioning training and thinking, regardless of if we're working on letter sounds to comprehension. Like when you can see kids starting connections like that, amazing. Could you explain to those who aren't familiar with the virtual visualizing, explain that a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. So visualizing and verbalizing, the basic concepts is that you want children to picture what they're seeing. So oftentimes like if you are able to have like pretty decent comprehension skills, when someone tells you a word like cat, you automatically have like a mental representation for that in your head. And you have a pretty detailed one of what a cat would look like. But for some people, like when they hear words, phrases, or sentences, or when they're reading, like they themselves haven't created these pictures or these kind of movies in their head. So what visualizing and verbalizing does is we start with like one word or we start with like a picture and we work on like creating detailed verbalization of what we're seeing. So if it's a cat, like we are going to talk about that, you know, the cat's face is round and that the cat's color is tan and that we see that the cat has whiskers and like two round circle eyes and two triangle ears. So it's taking something that might seem simple to somebody else, but really drawing it out to get that nice mental representation going. So one thing we often find is that families or we have biases when it comes to working with this population. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, we have to look at like who composes SLPs. Like most of us are, you know, hearing people, we use spoken language, (laughs) that that's just who we are. And so thinking about like a family made choosing sign might be kind of hard for some of us to grasp our head around. Like, 
well, why, like, why would they want to do that? So I think checking our internal biases is really important, really when working with any population, but especially this one, because we want to make sure that when we're presenting information, that we're giving a full, complete picture of all options and letting families know that you don't have to put yourself in a box of spoken language or sign language, but really it's a spectrum and you can use both. And oftentimes, like we see people talking and it's like, well, sign or spoken But the reality is like there are people that use both and use both beautifully. So we should encourage families to make a choice that's sound for them that's going to benefit their child. I love it. I love it. That's not about us. It's about them. Love it. Love it. Do you have a favorite children's book? Yeah. If you give a mouse a cookie and why I love it is my mom got me a signed copy when I was a kid. Um, Yes. So I actually, when I started working as an SLP, I used that one, but not thinking. And I eventually went out and bought brand new ones because like somebody was getting a little too rough with my book and I was getting upset. I was like, if they rip my book, I would be upset. So I bought new ones. Oh my God. Um, it's totally worth going on Amazon and getting another one. It was. I bought a brand new set. It's been wonderful. Don't care about pages anymore. But yeah, that one has been a favorite. And, you know, my my mom read that one to me quite often. So I love, love, I it. love it. Do you have a favorite activity you like to do with that story? Sequencing is probably one of my favorite activities. And why is because it allows for story retail. And I like using the manipulatives to go with the story. So talking about, you know, like the mouse getting a cookie and then he's going to get his glass of milk and then he's going to make a mess. And it's also a fun story because it's cyclical. So it starts all over again. And so the dramatic play, the sequencing, the story kind of gets kids involved with the story and makes it come alive some. I love it. And what kind of differentiation or I don't want to say visuals, but what what do you do differently for your students with hard of hearing that you might not have done for your other students when it comes to bringing out these storybooks? Yeah, so I think it's a lot more emphasis on, you know, what they heard versus sometimes what's in the picture. And also like making sure that we are really emphasizing like those grammatical markers that are in stories. And some people might be like, well, that's kind of small. But research has shown like children who are deaf and hard of hearing that use spoken language, they tend to have more difficulty with those things. So those are things that I kind of like monitor a lot more closely when we're in a story retell or when we're reading books is like making sure to kind of highlight those aspects so we can start picking them up in a natural way while we're reading. I love it. I love it. You work with older ones too, not just the younger ones, correct? Do you have a favorite do you have a favorite activity for them? Oh man, I don't know. I honestly I've been doing a lot of what are those short films, like Mm -hmm. Pixar short films Mm -hmm. and doing inferencing and asking like some higher order thinking questions. And that's been fun because some of the answers that you get are like that's what you got out of this. I, I don't think that's what I got out of it. Um, but that's fun. And then I've also done a lot of social media planning and text planning with some older ones. And so that's been really fun to talk about like ways that we use social media, what's important when you're writing a post, what should you like want to include, things that you may not want to include. Uh, so what have you found has been a challenge, especially with the hard of hearing for older students? Like, 
Have you found some different challenges than the younger ones? Honestly, uh, yes and no. So I feel like they're more aware of their differences typically. Yeah. So my younger ones tend to be a lot more squirmy and a little like all over the place. The older ones tend to come in and sit and do what they need to. Sometimes jokes like go way over their head. So you got to break down like, well, what made that funny? <laughs> what didn't make that funny? They're, they're a lot of fun because the things that they're working on are way different and a lot more like functional for school um, and social life environment than like my little ones. What recommendation would you give to someone who wants to learn more about working with the deaf and hard of hearing population? Like where can they think, go? Yeah, that's a great question. I think something that I didn't do that I wish I had done when I was first learning is actually connect with deaf adults. And that sounds like, well, that's not going to teach me about being an SLP, but it does because that's part of their culture and who they are. And so we want to be able to connect and understand these people who identify as deaf and hard of hearing and even parents of children who are deaf and hard of hearing. So I think the first thing is connecting. And for the people who are like, well, I don't know anybody. Yeah, I didn't either. But Instagram, there are a lot of people on there who are great advocates and are doing the work. So you can find uh, pages like that. Hearingfirst.org is big on um, listening and spoken language. So if you're looking into more of that realm, that's something you can look at. Cued speech, which is a modality that children use, like they have their own website. So really like depending on what you're trying to look for, there are different things out there. I really like handsandvoices.org. They just support families of children who are deaf and hard of hearing. And so their resources and the information they provide gives you a full spectrum of all the modalities. So depending, no matter which one you're looking into, you can get some good information from them. Love it. Thank you. We'll, we'll include all of those in the show notes. So not to worry, everyone. You don't have to be like pulling over your car. Don't like swerve into like any random lanes or anything like that. <laughs> but anything last that you would like to share when it comes terms to working on literacy and or the deaf and hard of hearing population? Anything else you'd like to share that you haven't shared yet today? Uh, I think the biggest thing is like be a critical thinker, but keep an open mind and be willing to problem solve with families. You don't have to do this by yourself just because you're the professional. Be comfortable with letting them know like what your limitations are. And then that way you guys can brainstorm together through things that might seem a little bit more challenging. I love it. I love it. We're, our ultimate goal is to see success for our students. It's not about us, it's about them. So I love that. Thank you so much, Sydney. Can you let everyone know where can they learn more about you and find out more about what you have to offer? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Listening SLP, or you can go check out my website, thelisteningslp.com. Thank you so much. And if you want to learn anything more about literacy or the deaf and hard of hearing, I highly recommend you go check out, I know her Instagram page is filled with ninja tips. And I know I am learning a ton by every post she posts. So I highly recommend you go check her out. We'll include links and everything in the show notes as well. So thank you so much, Sydney. And like I always do, I like to end my episodes with a joke because like you said, jokes go over students' heads. So I always have a joke of the week. So the joke of this week, if a crocodile makes shoes, what does a banana make? Uh, Slippers. Slippers. (laughs) 
That's a good one. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Mm-hmm. It's all about the jokes and teaching our students about that figurative language, multiple meaning words, why are things funny, the different slang, all that fun stuff. So I'm all about the jokes. I just... Every week, my students walk in the door and they know there's a joke of the week. And most of the time, it's a joke of the three weeks because I forget to change it. But it is it is what it is. <laughs> but that's why I like to share because this episode goes out every Monday to give everyone that inspiration they need to get through the week, get through the day and see student success. So thank you so much, Sunny. And I can't wait for everyone to check you out and learn more what you have to offer. So until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun, and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.